so some some period of um you know of years ago i was handed a book by uh, an old friend and uh the the book was uh, instruments in the redeemer's hands um people in need of change helping people in need of change uh, by uh, paul david tripp uh, published 2002 and um uh, and and an invitation to hey let's get together again and talk you know about the book uh, you know, in, in a couple of weeks or or a month or whatever it was, you know. So so during that time, I'm I'm reading through the book and and do, you know doing my best with the, with the time that I've got and you know um and uh, you know making notes here and there and uh, you know I get through maybe you know a couple of chapters or three or four chapters or whatever whatever it was, but pretty early on, pretty early on in the book, uh, about page twelve, I come across a paragraph that would really uh, sort of uh, catapult me into um, a, a pretty passionate uh, interest in biblical counseling, but not necessarily um, an interest in uh, the defense, um, but the opposition of biblical counseling. Now, I think it's only fair to say uh, that uh, I'm, I'm coming to this task from the perspective of informed psychological thought. Um, I am a, a licensed uh, psychotherapist, uh, formally trained in, in emotion-focused therapy, uh, psychodynamic uh, theory, um, you know, sort of a, your classic talk therapist, if you will. And, and then uh, through the course of my career, uh, I've kind of stumbled upon um, applied techniques of cognitive uh, behavior therapy for uh, specific uh, symptom dimensions and and diagnostic um, categories, and become something of 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 a specialist in the treatment of obsessive compulsive disorder and and the anxiety related problems. Uh, so I suppose it's it's only fair to say that I'm somewhat skeptical. Um, of biblical counseling by the time that I, I received the book. And I suppose it's, it's, uh, uh, it's in light of that skepticism that the book is handed to me. It's, there's this uh, desire, I think, on the part of my, my old friend, you know, to sort of you know, convert me maybe to biblical counseling theory. So, um, you know, so we go ahead and, and, uh, and have the discussion and, and, uh, and uh, and I remember flipping back to this page, and uh, and I read a quote uh, to him, and uh, the the quote was one that it, it just stuck out to me, and, and has continued, frankly, to do so uh, through the years. Uh, the quote, again, reading from page twelve of the two thousand two publication, uh, is this is why Paul writes so pointedly in Colossians two eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, uh, which depends on human tradition and the basic uh, principles um, of uh, this world and not on Christ. Uh, Tripp goes on, the world's philosophy is deceptive because it cannot deliver what it promises. It may be well-researched and logically presented, but it is not centered on Christ because sin, the condition, is what is wrong True hope and help can only be found in him. Any other answer will prove hollow. And I, uh, like I say, I, I, I recall uh, reading through that passage and feeling something of a mixture 
of uh, a bit of confusion and a bit of sort of uh, um, uh, offense, uh, just just you know a little bit irritated at these words, while at the same time not being you know super clear on the meaning of the author. Uh, and I suppose I'm I'm not super clear on you know the meaning of the author because there there's a sense in which the meaning is sort of veiled um behind really general language you know for instance uh the world's philosophy you know there's a sense in which you sort of draw conclusions uh almost unconsciously it's like i i oh i know what he, i know what he means by that um at the same time the language is non-specific enough that he can sort of say it's deceptive and get away with it because he's not being um you know uh, pointed uh he's not being precise in in his phraseology you know there, there's the idea of uh you know the, the philosophy of the world you know the way that the world thinks and you know that that stuff that stuff and uh, maybe for someone who's who's less informed, and I mean no shot, of course, by saying that, but maybe someone who's not thinking quite as critically uh, as he or she is reading, you know, we just sort of skip over that and say, okay, sure, I know what he means. But presumably, he means psychology. Um, you know, presumably, we're talking about um, the practice of modern psychological techniques or or the application of modern psychological theories and things like this. I mean, presumably we're talking about that because it is after all a book on biblical counseling and, and offering hope and help to people um, in relationship to the condition, you know? So, so there's a sense in which, well, yeah, we must be talking about psychology or, you know, or psychotherapeutic techniques or, or whatever, um, which is fine. That's fine. The, the trouble from there is that we run into, well, well, what theory do you mean? It's sort of like saying, well, you know, I've got some sort of, um, you know, bone to pick with theology. You know, I, I think that theology, you know, has has some issues, you know, and, and anyone who's listening from an informed perspective is going to say, oh, OK, sure. Now, which school of thought do you mean? Well, you know, the the philosophy of the church. Oh, OK, OK, sure. Now, hang on. Which church? I'm not. I'm not. Let's just slow down here to to kind of clarify because I want to hang with you. What? Which church do you? I'm not sure which theology we're talking about. Can you help me there? You know, and it's just like we just kind of skip over it. Well, you know, the world's philosophy. Okay. Well, what? So uh, presumably, again, psychology. So, but what? What theory? You know, what theorist? What text? What quotation? Are are we are we meaning? You know, when we sort of you know uh, lay the charge that it's deceptive. Well, okay. All right, um, sure. Let's just hit the pause button on that, and can we clarify for a second? Um, who are we talking about? You know, what 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 are we? You know, who are we inculpating here? Can can you just clarify that? You know, so it's like when you approach psychology, you're talking about you know a century of theories. You, you know, you're you're talking, and that comparative to church history is obviously a very very short period of time. I'm, that's not lost on me. I get that, but still, we're talking about. You know, I mean, we're talking about quite a number of, 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 uh, you know, theorists. We're talking about quite a number of individuals who, who offered, who made uh, just invaluable contributions to 
the 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 practice of of psychology in their day. You know, from from Sigmund Freud, um, you know, the 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 father of of uh, psychoanalysis, um, to to uh, uh, Carl Jung um, uh, with his uh, interpretation of dreams and and the collective unconscious, uh, to Alfred Adler and his um, inferiority and superiority complexes in individual psychology, uh, to uh, Eric Erickson and his theory of psychosocial development, the, the, the stages of psychosocial development, uh, to uh, Melanie Klein and her theory of object relations. I mean, it just keeps going and going, right? To Carl Rogers and, and person-centered therapy and his uh, uh, contribution of empathy into the therapeutic process, uh, the behaviorists, of Ivan Pavlov, um, uh, B.F. Skinner, and operant conditioning, um, a social learning theory uh, by uh, uh, Albert Albert Bandura, um, acceptance and commitment therapy, eye movement desensitization or processing, uh, of course, cognitive therapy with uh, Aaron Beck, uh, and and uh, rational emotive behavior therapy before him by uh, uh, Albert Ellis. You know, on and on. I mean, just it just keeps going. And the 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 idea that we're going to say the world philosophy is deceptive is okay. I mean, all right, fine, but but let's let's just clarify. You know, a little bit. What do we mean? Uh, again, presumably, we're talking about psychology. Presumably, I, I assume that's what the the phrase. You know, the world's philosophy is referencing uh, okay and given that assumption you know what what do we mean and and i think that that in addition to that then there's this sort of charge that's made that it's deceptive well the implication is that is that psychology has made a claim has made some sort of statement that psychology stands for something that is deceptive. And that too is conspicuously absent from, from the paragraph. And frankly, from any other page in this volume that I have found. Specifically, what is the claim that is objectively deceptive? What it what is the claim? What is it? You know, so beyond what theory or theorist, what text and quotation are we talking about? There's an additional question of, and what statement is made that is wrongheaded, erroneous, or deceptive? Well, it's deceptive because it can't deliver what it promises. And again, well, what is it that is being promised? What? Again, the, the clarification here is, is noticeably missing. But the um, the sort of obvious problem that emerges is <coughs> is the development of what are, of what are called empirically supported treatments, right? Evidence based protocols. And this nomenclature may feel a little bit new, and, and that's fine. But the reality is, you're familiar with the nomenclature, even if you've not heard these particular words put together before. The nomenclature of evidence-based protocol is is sort of in the in the medical field as well. 
you know, so, you know, evidence-based protocols sort of um, dictate um, medical prescriptions, right? So you have a sinus infection and you're, you're diagnosed with a sinus infection and you go to your, your PCP and, 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 uh, you know, he or she confirms the diagnosis and, and prescribes uh, an antibiotic of some kind, right? And the question is why, why? And the answer is because we know it works, right? Um, there's, there's been clinical trials uh, carefully conducted and, and outcome data that's been collected and analyzed, you know, and, and birthed out of that is a set of procedures. You know, we, we do this stuff, right? We, we follow these steps. These protocols are in place because we know the outcome. And we know the outcome because of the data that we have from the clinical trials that we conducted. You see what I'm saying? In other words, the process that is put in place is put in place and is based upon the outcome. It's evidence-based, right? It's empirically supported, right? We, we've observed the results. And as a result of those results, we have this procedure that we follow in order to solve the problem, if you will. So psychological practice isn't entirely different. Well, we have evidence-based protocols as well, right? And so we go ahead and diagnose psychological um, problems based upon, uh, uh, you know, um, a specific set of symptomatological cri criteria and, uh, you know, measure the severity of the symptoms and blah, blah. But we go ahead and we engage, you know, psychotherapeutic processes that are evidence-based. And so the, no the notion that, um, again, whatever it is that we're talking about, presumably psychology, can't deliver what it promises is on its face absurd. It can't deliver what it promises. We have decades of research that demonstrates it does deliver what it promises. I think that, that part of the implication, now I'm sort of, sort of switching gears here, is that you know, psychology fails to address the sin issue. Right. And you sort of see that, uh, you know, when the when the writer is talking about uh, sin, the condition and and sin, the condition being what is wrong. Right. The true hope and help can only be found in him. I, you know, for example, I think this is where you begin to see um, the 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 first piece of the dichotomous theory of biblical counseling, as I've laid it out. You know, that, that sin is ideologically related to the onset of disease, right? Which is something that the church has been saying for centuries of time. Uh, that, you know, it's not a new, um, you know, a comparatively, you know, it's not a uh, novel or a modern, you know, invention of, of ecclesiology. I mean, this is something that really goes back to um, Pope Gregory I uh, in, I don't know, something like the... Somewhere around the sixth century, he published a book called Pastoral Care, and um, and certainly worked to sort of explain something of that idea. It was much more carefully explained by Pope Innocent III at the Fourth Lateran Council in the year twelve fifteen. Um, you know, Innocent said that you know disease is sometimes caused by sin, right? So um, that that's nearly a direct quote. Of, of one of the articles from the Fourth Lateran Council, again, the year 1215. So, I mean, the, the Puritans, who also, of course, uh, made this claim, weren't the first to say it. And certainly, um, 
what's the young man's name uh, who wrote a competent counsel, Jay Adams. He certainly wasn't the first, although I think he often seems to kind of get, you know, the the credit for this ideology. Uh, that's that's quite that's quite wrongheaded. But in any case, uh, you, you certainly see that concept coming out in this writing. You know, where, you know, sin the condition is what is wrong. True hope and help can only be found in Him. Um, you know that that the the sin patterns cause the onset of disease. And okay, I think that part of the implication is that psychology doesn't speak to sin, right? And so psychology will fail because it doesn't speak to sin, or psychology does fail, or it has failed, or or whatever, because it doesn't deal with the sin issue. And uh, you know, I, I think that to my mind, it's sort of like, well, okay, where did Skinner talk about sin? You know, where where did uh. You know, where did Erickson talk about sin? Where did Bandora mention, you know, sin or where did Ellis or, 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 um, you know, or Beck or, or whomever, I mean, whomever talk about, I mean, there are some of the school of thought known as Christian psychology, uh, and, and some of these individuals for sure are, are talking about sin in relationship to, uh, you know, psychotherapy and, and, uh, and psychopathology and so on. I mean, uh, for sure, but I'm talking in terms of quote unquote, secular psychology, um, as it is commonly known among the circle of, of biblical counseling theory, you know, like who's talking, I mean, who's talking about that? You know, we're sort of saying you guys failed to, you guys failed to do this. You know, you failed to deliver what you promised. And well, okay, hang on. Where did they promise that they were going to talk about sin or, or deal with sin? I mean, it's just not there. It's sort of like a, you know, it's a false accusation. It's an empty claim. It's not there in the first place, you know? Uh, but I suppose that raises the question of, well, does biblical counseling deal with the condition of sin, right? Does uh, Obviously, the claim is that sin causes sickness, and the second part of the dichotomous theory is that, and repentance from sin, and of course, faith in Christ brings about psychotherapeutic gains. Again, as I have laid out and in uh in papers that I've written and of course in podcasts that I've done on on this this podcast you know but i i think that 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 question in a sort of like does wait a second wait a second does biblical counseling deal with the nature uh, the homardiological nature of man does does you know does and I suppose you might say well no 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 no, no. well biblical counseling isn't claiming that it will somehow you know, deal with the 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 nature, you know, of sin. Well, well, John MacArthur and and uh, uh, Mac, uh, forgive me, I'm 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 uh, not remembering the the first first name, but MacArthur and Mac, they do make exactly that claim uh, in Introduction to Biblical Counseling, uh, publication is 1994. Uh, they they indicate that uh, you know that the the, the 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 process of counseling, the purpose of counseling is to break the hold of sin. You know, to break its hold. Okay. I, I find that to be remarkable. And and that's some that's a similar idea. Obviously, it's different phraseology uh here in Tripp's book from 2002. But the idea of I'm gonna I'm gonna break the hold of sin in your life. I mean, that that's a tremendous claim to make. I'm going to, I as a biblical counselor am going to break the hold of sin in your life. I mean, beyond the fact that that seems like superhuman, beyond, beyond that fact, scripture seems to have a word or two to say about that. 
you know, as I've mentioned before, and it is a very, very relevant passage uh, in this context and in this instance, First uh, John 1, 8 and 10, and you know the passage well, right? That if we say that we're without sin, uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And, and then verse 10 goes on to say, and we make God out to be a liar. In other words, God charges every uh, living person with, with the exception of Christ himself, God charges every living person with sin and says, you are a sinner, right? They're, they're all unrighteous. They're all sinners, all of them, all of them. You know, as David would say, I, I, um, I was born, it was born in iniquity. It was born by nature is the idea. My very nature is, is sinful. I don't just act sinfully. I don't just sometimes engage bad uh, choices or exhibit unfortunate behaviors. No, no, no. It runs deeper than that. The picture is uglier than that. You know, so this notion that, uh, that somehow, um, psychology can't deliver what it promises, but biblical counseling can. Biblical counseling can. So I, I, I just really struggle with that. I really struggle with that. I, I, and and, and, and I, I shouldn't say I really struggle with that because it's not a personal matter. This isn't, you know, you're not listening to this podcast because you want to know what Chris Lyons thinks, you know, about biblical counseling. That really is, is, not merely superfluous. That's irrelevant. Who cares what, what this guy thinks about biblical counseling? The point of the matter is that biblical counseling has made claims. And although in many instances, they're quite unspecific, they're unfortunately imprecise. There is a sense in which the claims are detectable enough that we can take a look at them from a theological perspective, as well as from an empirical perspective. We can weigh them and analyze them. You know, we can look at them and test them and, 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 um, you know, and assess the extent to which, uh, the claims are, you know, uh, you know, uh, hold up to, um, you know, to, to, to reason and, uh, and so on, we, you know, we, we can do that. And I, and I think that when, when you, when, when you begin to look at, okay, this is the claim, the claim is that sin causes, that sin causes sickness, that sin causes sickness, and not just Genesis 3 sin. Like I think that, again, many people would agree that, that the world is an imperfect place because of you know, the sin of mankind, right? And, and maybe some people um, would feel a little bit uncomfortable with, with referencing you know, a Bible passage, but I think, you know, by and large, I think a lot of people, that is to say, in Christianity and not in Christianity, right? A lot of people across the world would say, yeah, the world would be a better place without, you know, without sin. Okay, sure. You know, I don't think anybody, I mean, for the most part, generally speaking, I don't think anybody is contesting that. But that's not really the point. That's not what, what biblical counseling is endorsing here. That's not the theory. The theory is that specific Specific. In fact, again, to to go back to MacArthur and Mac in 1994, this is page 58, by the way. Um, uh, specific uh, sins, um, I believe, I believe is the phrase that's used. I don't have the the 
the the page in front of me, but obviously I've looked at it many times to know what it says and what page it's on. Uh, but it's specific sins, I, I believe, is the is the language. So we're not talking about Genesis three. We're not talking about capital S sin, right? The sin of mankind, the homardiological nature of humanity. We're not talking about that. That's not that's not the nature of the language. The language is specific to you, your sin, your sins. Your sins are ideologically related to the onset of your disease. And again, that that's not new. That's not new to biblical counseling. It's not unique to biblical counseling theory, right? People have been saying, people inside of the church have been saying this for centuries, 1,500 years of time, right? It goes back a long, long way. So, I mean, it's not a new idea, although it has never, it has never been verified, but right? it has never been observed empirically. It has never been uh, demonstrated, uh, never, it, you know, but, but the point of the matter is that's the claim. The claim is that sins cause sickness and that repentance brings about psychothera- uh, psychotherapeutic progress. So I think that, you know, this idea that, okay, um, you know, uh, uh, that that psychology is deceptive because it can't can't deliver what it promises the question becomes okay well can biblical counseling deliver what it promises you know can biblical counseling somehow break the hold of sin and by focusing on uh the 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 individual sins of symptom sufferers bring about therapeutic gains without the use of psychological protocols without the involvement of of evidence-based theories and practices, without all that, without all that, just simply by engaging um, in uh, in confession and repentance, right? In faith in Christ, confession and repentance, can we go ahead and measure symptoms, right? Can we we, uh, measure the severity of symptoms before confession, before repentance, and then measure the severity of symptoms afterwards? You know, are we able to do that? And the answer, of course, is, well, you know, biblical counseling theory is above all that. We don't, we don't really do, we don't do whatever, empirical observation. We don't really do, you know, research. We leave the science stuff for the secular psychologists and fine. That is a convenient fact, though, because what that means as a result is you really can't verify the extent to which your claims are actually true, right? But here you are saying psychology is deceptive because it can't deliver what it promises. All the while, of course, it is delivering exactly what it promises by way of evidence-based protocols. And without the involvement of repentance and confession and the sinner's prayer or or what whatever. And I don't mean to to speak pejoratively about any of those things, but the reality is that quite a charge, not just has been, but is forever being brought against psychology. It is just it is a is a relentless barrage of claims that it's bad and that it's ineffective and that it doesn't do anything. And this, the, the, the palpable irony is that the theory of biblical counseling itself, one could argue, is deceptive, that it can't deliver what it promises. I mean, you have Jesus himself 
who's saying, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Take heart. I've overcome the world. But, but while you're here, you will have trouble, right? And, and so, okay, well, what kind of trouble is Jesus talking about? What, what kind of trouble? You know, or, or you go to James 1, right? And, you know, and, and uh, when, when James is talking about trials of many kinds, right, the, the, the phrase many kinds, it, it, it comes from, from, uh, from the Greek word, I believe it's moria, right? If I'm not misremembering it, but the, but the, whether I'm misremembering the word or not, the, 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 the meaning of the word that's used is like, is like all kinds. It's like a variety, whatever happens, whatever bad stuff is happening, whatever you might encounter, right? It's, it's, it's not, it's like an all inclusive kind of trouble, right? Whatever it is, whatever, that's the idea of it. So it includes, it includes the possibility of psychological problems, but it includes clinically significant anxiety symptoms. You know, it, 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 it includes, you know, marital troubles. It includes whatever it might be, right? It, of course, it includes persecution. It includes whatever it might be, whatever trouble you might encounter. In this world, you'll have trouble. And when I have trouble, is it because I haven't repented hard enough? Is it because I haven't believed hard enough? And I think that ultimately, this is where you get into biblical counseling theory being a variation of the prosperity gospel. And obviously, there are differences. There are differences. Of course, there are. And there are sub- substantial differences. And, and, I, and I hope that you're not hearing me say, they're the same thing. Oh, they're the same thing. Because that's not what I'm saying. And I hope you're not walking away with, oh, well, he's just saying it's the same thing. Biblical counseling and prosperity, it's the same stuff. No, that's not what I said. In fact, what I did say is I'm not saying that, right? But there are, to my mind, some overlaps. You know, the idea of the prosperity gospel fundamentally, uh, you know, fundamentally is, you know, it's, it's this, this concept that seems to be purported uh, um, and, and endorsed most visibly by Joel Osteen, right? Um, and and that, you know, that, that God's steadfast will in the lives of individual believers is kind of like financial blessing and physical well-being, right? And that, that enough faith, right? Enough faith and, and maybe an occasional donation to the right religious organization, you know, will result in in prosperity at the, at the hands of God, you know, and, and just you know, the, 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 the will of God in the lives of believers is psychological health. It's not psychological illness. No, no, no. It's psychological health. And with enough repentance and faith, with enough repentance and faith, you'll be psychologically well, right? There's this, there's a sense in which you sort of see something of an overlap between biblical counseling theory and the prosperity gospel. And that's a, a controversial remark to make. I get that. It's not, again, not lost on me. I understand that. But there is a logical sense in which you can sort of look at the two schools of thought and see, you know, that, that maybe they both have stripes like zebras, you know, or, or maybe they both walk on all fours like a dog. Or, you know, you, you see what I'm, the, the imagery I'm meaning to point to is that they have some obvious similarities to them. Maybe Maybe they're not both zebras or maybe they're not both you know, whatever it might be, but there's some similarities, you know, that God's will for you is that you'd be psychologically well. Is it, is that, 
is that, are you sure? Is that scriptural that God's purpose and God's will is that you'll have no, uh, no identifiable illness psychologically that God, that's God's purpose for you. That, that maybe among other things, maybe it's among other things, but, but that that's included that you'd have no psychological problems at all. And that if you have psychological problems, it's fundamentally because of your specific sin patterns. I mean, I think that another problem that emerges is, well, then what do we say about people in the church who have psychological problems, right? Um, what do we say about, you know, you know, Bible-believing, um, church-going Christians who suffer from OCD or who suffer from uh, recurrent major depressive disorder, you know, or, or who have bipolar 2 or whatever? And what do we say about individuals who aren't in the church and who have never have been in the church who actually have a clean bill of health from their primary care physician, including their psychology? I mean, what, you know, what do you do with, with an observable reality like that in the general population? I mean, how do you explain that? Uh, you know, so I think that, you know, we come back to Tripp's words and th- this, this idea that the world's philosophy is deceptive because it cannot deliver what it promises. I think that I've just, I've struggled with that through the years. What the hell does that mean? It's, it brings me to a place where I just feel angry because it doesn't bring honor to Christ. It doesn't point people to the cross. It may, it may somehow, somehow, quite cosmetically appear to but what you get when you swallow hook, line, and sinker, the notion that enough repentance will result in psychological health, is in effect, I don't need Christ to be righteous. It is in effect, I can put on good, godly, righteous behaviors on my own. And that's a really really dangerous place to be theologically. 